Everybody, we're back in the worldwide TFL studios. We're coming to you hot from San Diego with the, with another episode, episode six of the TFL podcast. Super excited for my guests this time. And I'm super excited every week that I get to do this. Uh, but this one's special. It's, uh, it's obviously a legend uh, that, that I'm really excited to get on the phone with and, and, and really talk about and his friend John Tavares. So uh, I'm actually, no, I, I want to introduce... Obviously, yeah. Troy Corningly, who's a longtime friend of mine that uh, we played together a long, long time ago in Coquitlam and Junior, and uh, excited that uh, that his career is has lasted, you know, through a number of decades as a player, as a coach, uh, and, and is still involved with the National Lacrosse League. John Tavares, who played somewhere around 40 years. Um, I, th- I think that was the number, but uh, probably goes without an introduction. Uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest player of all time. And, and I'm going to come in hot with a question, and here's a hot take. JT, who's the GOAT? Is it you or Gary Gate? Wow, you read my mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Gary Gate. Why? Why would he be the GOAT and not you? He didn't last as long as you. Well, I mean, is the GOATs, does longevity have anything, have anything to do with being the best player of all time? Uh, I would think some part, but I think, you know, the time that Gary played, he played for a long time as well, just not as long. I think he's just a more dominant offensive player. And he, if, he, if you need him to play defense, he can do that as well. And he, he can create, he, he created a lot more opportunities for himself uh, where I was not able to, to do that. I have definitely have to depend more on my teammates. So when you're looking at it, the best player, I, I would have to go with Gary all around. You know, he, wow. he can do everything. How about you, Troy? What do you think? Who's the goat? Paul Gate? Uh, it's 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 no comparison for me. It's JT. I've been around him for forever, you know, and that's no disrespect to 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 uh, Gary or Paul for for that fact. Um, you know, the three of them, what they did for the the MILL and NLL has been out, out, unbelievable. But you know, I I just think that um, for me, you know, I, I, I JT made everybody better around him. Um, and you know, I, I was in the, he certainly made you better. (laughs) Yeah, true enough. And, you know, I just, I just time after time, I would see him do things and, and, you know, you just shake your head and, you know, so I got to live it. Uh, I got the the front row seat for most of it. Hey, Troy, that security question. Uh, the answer is bandits. Uh, (laughs) You transfer. (laughs) (laughs) Venmo. That's funny. Hey, so I want to take you back to the very beginning and I want you guys to tell me who put the stick in here. And I ask every guy this question because I think it's vitally important for today's kind of fans, lacrosse players to understand that that we came to the game in, in a lot of different ways. And, and so I ask every guest that comes on the show, the first question is who put the stick in your hand for the first time? Uh, my brother, Danny. Uh, played lacrosse for a team called St. Christopher House downtown Toronto. We lived uh, just outside, um, just uh, about, I don't know, five-minute walk to the local park where they had an outdoor box. And my brother Danny played lacrosse, and I would take his stick literally every day I could and uh, play lacrosse. So I have to credit my older brother Danny for introducing me to the game of lacrosse when I was about four. Four. That's usually the age that most Canadians tell the story. And then when I ask the Americans the story, it's usually like sometime around seventh or eighth grade. 
for me, it was um, it was my neighbor um, who played lacrosse in Brampton. And I lived out in the country, so there wasn't very many houses out there, and and um, you know, I was a little bit of a um, shit disturber, so to speak, when I was a kid. And my father, um, you know, uh, introduced me to to the neighbor, and I started playing lacrosse, and I was probably about four or five years old as well. And um, I've been involved ever since. So it's JT. Are you surprised that Troy was a shit disturber? No, no, not at all. I think he still is a bit of a shit disturber. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> but uh, you know, Troy's an intense guy, and uh, that's the way he played, and that's the way he coached coaches as well. I uh, one of my first memories of Troy Cordingly was uh, he was playing for the Coquitlam Adnax in junior and I was playing for Burnaby and, and we had a few um, interactions, let's say that uh, probably didn't go my way, but uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. Once we figured out that we, that lacrosse, you could actually spend time with the other team outside of the game. And it wasn't all about what was happening on the floor. It was a lot more fun. Yeah, it took a while though to, to realize that, didn't it? Yeah. No question. So, JT, I don't know if you remember this, but back you played for the Vancouver Brards a long time ago, and you and I, I did. had one tilt um, a long, long time ago. And 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 I remember it only that you one punched me and knocked me out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I only remember I remember how it started. I didn't remember how it ended. I'll email you as well. I think no, I think it was a toe-to-toe fight. There was a lot of punches being thrown. I don't know that there was a winner. I kind of thought it was a draw. Uh, I, I remember that fight specifically as I brought a, um, a, a co-worker of mine. I used to work at the Pacific National Exhibition in Vancouver while I was there for the summer. And uh, he came out to his first lacrosse game, and he loved the fight because for the next two weeks he talked about that fight and how it was amazing. And, and uh, he could go over it over and over and over again. And from what I remember from his story and from what I remember from the actual fight, it was – you punching, me punching. I don't know if we landed many, but uh, it was a lot, a lot of punches. I don't know if anybody actually won the fight. I think it was a long fight, but a draw. I do remember playing, and, and I know you both. You guys out west, and I'm from out west. You guys are both from out out east. But we played in the in the uh, Vancouver Agrodome. Yeah, and play. It was where at the Pacific National Exhibition, which is you know the PNE down in, in East Vancouver. It was where they hosted all of the horse events and the cow <laughs> yeah. events and all that stuff. And so there was literally manure everywhere. It absolutely reeked. Stunk. And yeah. I was allergic to, to horses and, and all these animals. And so I couldn't <laughs> believe, I couldn't breathe in this building. And, and I just remember playing in this place. And it, it was a great place to play. In fact, I think they filmed the movie Rocky Four with Ivan Drago. And it was supposed to be Russia in there because it was this dark, old big building they filmed that movie there anyway it's not it it, it always smelled like manure and uh, uh, unfortunately the smell wasn't uh, very pleasant but the arena was a perfect lacrosse arena, a very high roof and uh, seats all the way around it was uh, it's actually it was a really nice facility besides the smell but actually if you remember they filmed happy gilmore in there when happy right. gilmore they were doing the Zamboni on the ice and he was singing. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. That was filmed yeah. in the Agronome. Yeah. So there's I didn't a know bunch that. of Vancouver yeah. movies filmed there. Anyway, yeah, that's just a funny aside, but speaking of buildings and great buildings to play the Buffalo auditorium in my, my history 
I love that building. I thought that was the greatest building to play in. And some of the conversation in a previous podcast that we were talking about with, with some of the old wings guys was that there was kind of this chicken wire fence, this elevator gate that we were on the concourse. And to get to your locker room, you had to walk through the crowd to get back to your locker room. And, and uh, but what do, you, what do you guys remember about the first time you ever played in the Buffalo Auditorium? Well, the first time we played was against uh, the New York States. And the first thing I just remember was there were, the game was delayed because there was a huge lineup outside uh, of fans waiting to get in. Uh, that's the first thing. And uh, I think about the, the facility. It was very old, very intimate. Um, it was like the people were right on top of you. Uh, the changing rooms were tiny. You would think, oh, it's a professional lacrosse team. They're going to have nice rooms. I think we used to get like the, uh, any room that nobody else used. It was very small. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm like you. I loved playing at the auditorium. I loved how loud it was and how the fans were right there with you. Um, another place that reminded me, my second favorite place to play was the Boston Garden. It was, it was almost identical buildings. But uh, I, I would say the, uh, the way the, um, the arena was built, it was just very loud. And the boards were just very flexible. Like you hit a guy into the boards, was, the, guy, the boards would shake back and forth and, and the crowd would roar. Now, and then I think they went to a little stiffer board in a lot of different arenas. Like I know in, in Nassau. Uh, Long Island there, their boards were really hard. So we went from playing at the odd where the boards would shake um, a lot to going to the Nassau Coliseum and you break your shoulder if you touch the boards. Well, why do I think this story is going in a direction that I don't want it to go? <laughs> Eventually we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Every, why has everybody got to do this? Every podcast, we got to talk about the same fucking thing. Well, well that's the but, Steve Gubbett story. When, when, sorry, Trey, when, when you, you tell the Steve Gubbett story, you have to tell the Steve Gubbett story at the Spectrum. Yeah. Go ahead, Troy. Sorry. Very no, hard words. Uh, it's, it's the best story ever. The face plan is, is <laughs> it's unreal. Uh, well, moving on, but you guys walked into the first time you ever tried out for the Buffalo Bandits, and and back in the day, we we literally tried out for for, you know, it was it was four sessions. Like we we got you went to this thing and you tried out, and I know that obviously Buffalo was a was a different spot. Les Bartley was a coach, and 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 maybe earlier before that, I think you guys might have had a different coach, and then Les Bartley took over in the middle of the season. Maybe talk about just trying out for that team and what the atmosphere was like, because I know we all came from a place where tradition uh, and history, and we, you know, it was kind of, everybody knew who you were in Canada, but going into the mill at the time, things were a little different. Uh, it was in 93. Um, I was drafted uh, that year. Um, it was the year after the uh, first season that uh, Buffalo started. Um, and it was, uh, we, we, we started in October, which was really, really early, um, you know, because the season didn't start. Like, I, I can't remember how many games. I think we had, was there six or eight games that in that during that year? Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> um, so, and it was, it was good. It was, uh, you know, it was a, you know, we'd practice Tuesday nights and then have to uh, go to work the next day, get home at about two, three in the morning, but you know, it was worth it. We, um, um, we were, uh, you know, finally called professionals. I know that a lot of us put a lot of time into the craft and that, but um, that first year and JT will talk about it with regards to uh, coaching Buff McCready was uh, coached for the first three games. And then um, uh, Bart, took over and, and the rest is history. 
that first year was a, a very competitive camp because we had all these Canadian, mainly Ontario lacrosse players trying out for this like all-star team in Buffalo, really. So we didn't know, really know where you stood. Like I was out there and I was just trying to make the team. We had a lot of great players. So it was pretty intense. Like you said, Steve, I think it was about four sessions. I think we practiced out of the, in North Tonawana, a place called the Sportsplex, where we continued to practice for years after that. Uh, made the team. Buff McCready was the uh, coach. We lost our first game, second game, and third game. We were just kind of getting used to the rules and uh, playing against a lot of American players, which, you know, they were kind of unorthodox, if you will, uh, for a lot of box players, like the guys would shoot on the wrong side, switch hands, very athletic. Uh, so it was a totally different game and just getting used to the officials and, and whatnot. But uh, after the first three games, we went on a bit of a tear and uh, were able to win that championship and continue on for the next year too. What do you guys remember about – because I, I was on the other side of this as a Canadian guy that ended up in Philadelphia, uh, and I lived in Washington, D.C., or just outside Washington, D.C. for a long time as I went to school in Virginia and, and ultimately ended up on the Philadelphia Wings. And the, the rivalry between the Wings and, and the Bandits was, was pretty intense. And, and I think probably for, let's say, the late 80s into the mid-90s, um, we played in a lot of championships against each other, and and you know the, it was there was a lot of battles every time we played each other. It, it you know, ultimately uh, would end up in in the the bar called Le Club, Club. Um, <laughs> which we we all enjoyed a few times. But um, you know, and and, Phil, and Philly had its own uh, you know cheesesteaks and all the rest of it that that went with it. But talk about that time. You know, what what was that like for you guys? Well, that I I that was probably the the best rivalry, and I still think it was there is the best rivalry ever in MLL, where um, you know we always did meet in the finals, and that um, I know there was a lot of hatred. Um, you know, I, I know that you know there was, I mean that was good lacrosse too. It was you know there was some some beauty cheap shots, and and you know it was just good. It was good tough lacrosse. Um, but I, you know, I, I think we took it as, you know, I know I did was Canada versus USA, mm -hmm. and you know, it was, you know, they're the best of the the best uh, Americans were on on uh, for the most part on Philadelphia, and you know, we were like JT said, we 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 had the best of Ontario guys and playing, and and um, you know, there was there was no shortage of 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 hatred. Um, and actually, that's where, for, for me anyways, you know, I was always taught that you, you weren't allowed to talk to the opponent. You weren't, you know, you have to hate them as much as you, uh, you can and that. But, you know, um, with lacrosse, that's where I first learned, you know, that there's, there's more to the game of on the floor. There's off the floor. And uh, a guy that, that pops into my mind that, you know, who I became uh, acquainted with was uh, Jimmy Rogers off of your guys' team and, and you know, so there's a guy that that literally is probably the funniest guy I've ever ever met. Well, I, I will say this: he's been described at least a few times on a few episodes of this podcast <laughs> as if Las Vegas was a person, um, it would be Jimmy Rogers. So I suspect you liked him because he was probably buying uh, drinks for you. you yeah, know. I did not like going out that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were out all night if you were with him. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> 
Ah, that's fun. Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow-smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. Tell me about, you know, where you guys end up in, in, I want to talk a little bit about the summer of 1997. And uh, I had Gary and Paul on a couple episodes ago, and we talked a little bit about the development of, of when the mill became the National Lacrosse League. And the National Lacrosse League doesn't get born if not for some of the rivalry where Paul Gate was attempting to uh, bring a group of guys into the league and, and create a, uh, an opportunity for single entity ownership. And I know, you know, JT, you were involved in that from potentially the other side with, with uh, Russ and Chris. And tell me a little bit about that time and how your motivation was and, and how you kept uh, uh, your teammates and, and your thought process about going to play or keeping. Are we talking about when the uh, PLPA form? Yes. Well, when they were still PLPA switching leagues in 93, right? When we switched leagues in 97 from the mill to, to, uh, in the off season in the first negotiation or second negotiation, I guess, of a new collective bargaining agreement and what happened there with, with Peter Schmitz and a, and a large contingent of people that, uh, you know, would, that changed the face of the national lacrosse league and created the, a new league. Okay. 97. Um, the, the, there was a, it was a, you know, a lot going on because Russ and Chris, uh, uh, Fritz and Klein there, they were trying to keep the league going. And, you know, they were, uh, they were trying to recruit like guys like Paul and Gary to, to play and kind of felt like, well, at least it made us feel like if they had Paul and Gary and anybody else to play, they can run the league. And, you know, we were trying to form a players association you know, back then we we're again paid like $125 a game, first year player, second year player, 150, you know, and we were playing in front of 10, 12,000, 15,000 people in Buffalo. So, uh, you know, we tried forming a players association and with that, you know, possibly come some stoppage of lacrosse. And, you know, like most players from Ontario back then, like we'd love playing uh, summer lacrosse, we love playing pro lacrosse and, you know, it was a hard thing to do to sit out. So, Thank God we didn't we didn't have to, and the PLPA was formed, and we started getting treated a little bit better. But those were some trying times there, you know. It kind of felt like it was tearing some players apart, you know, especially like uh, guys of you know Paul and Gary. Kind of, I, I mean, I can't speak for them because we were kind of told that they were going to play regardless, and and uh, we kind of had to make our own stand. And I, I don't even know what happened. I think they got some different owners. For Rochester, got an owner. I think um, Nassau, Long Island, got an owner. And Ritz, uh, Chris, and and, and uh, Russ kept Philly, and helped me out with the other ownership groups. Like I don't remember. Well, the whole thing started with Frank, you know, Frank Duras, Steve Donner, and Rochester. Duras, Donner, yeah, those are the, yeah, yeah. And there was Syracuse, and and if you remember correctly, I think there was a Boston team that Peter Schmitz was working with that ultimately never played. Uh, but the you know the a lot of turmoil through that time frame. And Troy, I think you and I actually spent a ton of time on the phone that summer trying to figure out who was doing what and, and trying to figure out how to triangulate uh, all of the processes that were happening at the time. And, and look, I was just a plug role player, uh, but I wanted to keep playing lacrosse. So yeah, I, I think, pretty- I think that speaks for the majority of the players. Like as, as bad as we were getting treated financially, we still wanted to play lacrosse, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. It, to me, it was just, I'd love playing. And I was probably going to play regardless 
But, uh, you know, I, I became friends with Dave Suckamore. Uh, I got to know Peter Schmidt and got to know those guys. And, you know, I was in favor of, of the players at that time and point. So I was willing to take a stand. But I'll tell you, deep down, I really wanted to play lacrosse. Well, the good news was, you know, Raj was on my team, so he was buying all the drinks so you could keep yeah. your check. <laughs> Most That's everybody nice. else was spending their game check in the bar. They were actually I, – I will never forget guys signing their checks, game yeah. checks, in the bar over to the, over to the bartender, literally to the bartender. Your major indoor lacrosse league check, you'd sign in the bar. Well, you would give spend it to the bartender, and then you had your eighty-three bucks to drink for the rest exactly. of the night. Exactly. Was that what it was? The eighty-three dollars after taxes. Well, I remember one hundred twenty-five <laughs> bucks after taxes yeah. was eighty-three dollars. That was my Unbelievable. first check. Unbelievable. Yeah, I you know should have kept them, but one day <laughs> we'll one day we'll do that. Um, tell me, hey, hey Troy, tell me your best chugger story. Your best Dietrich <laughs> chugger story. I mean, and he's going to watch this one day, and I, I want him to watch this and be very upset that you told this story. Well, I I mean it's not it's not too uh, um, uh, too graphic, I guess. But um, and and it was I never played with Chugger uh, in the in the NLL, but I had the opportunity to uh, uh, be a, uh, coach him, and um, he's he's a very superstitious guy. He was always very superstitious, and I remember um, you know talking to I was uh, um, coaching with Darius in Buffalo, um, and uh, I was talk, talking to the offensive guys and. Chugger at the time, you know, was would walk around the dressing room, uh, picking up garbage and stuff like that while I was speaking. He was just very superstitious. Nothing could be on the floor, any tape balls, anything had to go in the garbage and walk around. While I was talking to the offensive guys in the room, he's walking around, and once he passed somebody, you know, there'd be guys throwing garbage on the ground behind him. So he would. He, so I'm trying to keep a straight face, trying to, you know, talk about our plan or whatever. I can't even remember it. And he would turn and there'd be a trail of garbage behind him. So he would go and pick it up. And then the guys behind him on the other side would be tossing stuff on the ground. And it was, it was you know, it was just very comical. And at the same time, he's literally talking to himself, psyching himself up for the game, yes. going over different shooters. So he's talking to himself, picking up garbage, picking up garbage, not having a clue the guys are throwing the garbage oh. on the floor on purpose. Well, I thought you were going to tell a story about the time we put a pizza in the net and he uh -oh. ran from one end to the other faster than anybody else. <laughs> or there was the time where, where we were playing Calgary, I think it was the last regular season, and uh, Tyson Lees jumped and elbowed him in the jaw and, hit, and knocked him out cold. And we're on the bench and Andy Ogilvie, Andy Ogilvie just says, oh, and Chugger is out cold. And Andy Ogilvy says, somebody go get a slice of piece of waffle under his nose. He'll be fine. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, but just for the record, uh, uh, Steve Dietrich is a pizza connoisseur. He loves pizza. He could eat pizza three times a day. <laughs> JP, do you remember the 05 All-Star game? It was on NBC and it was in Calgary. Do you remember in Calgary, that? yeah. I remember that. I remember that, yeah. Do you remember was, uh, you guys played the night before in Buffalo, I think? <laughs> Tell that story. We did. I I I, I didn't remember. I, I but we did play the night before, 
We drove to Toronto that night to catch a charter plane, which we thought we were really special getting on the charter plane. You guys and thought man, you were big? You guys yeah, yeah. Well, it was awesome. We didn't have to go to the, actually, the airport, the terminals. We had to go to this specific like uh, place where there's <laughs> chartered planes. Thought it was a big wig. We get on this thing, and the bags are literally in the back. It's like being in a van. You can see all the bags. And they pack them in the bag. We get on the plane, and it's pretty late, and that's after waiting. I don't know, an hour or two. I think we were waiting for some Toronto guys as well. They had a game. Um, long story short here, we get on this plane. There's absolutely no heat on the plane. None <laughs> at all. We are freezing our butts off. And and uh, get to Calgary. And uh, we played the – and that game was – I was I was excited about the game. It was on NBC. I thought uh, that was a good opportunity for the league to grow a bit. But uh, that flight – was a flight that uh, I'll never forget. Uh, I froze my butt off the entire way. Is it is it true, JT, that every road trip you celebrate a birthday? I, I'm not sure what you're. I'm not oh. sure what you're talking about. <laughs> he might be a thousand years old. Troy, is it true that he oh. celebrates a birthday at every restaurant? He still, he still does it. He still does it. You, you think you know? Now he's a coach. He would. Well, be I mean, a I don't. If, more any, mature, if any waiter. He, or you know, servers listening to this, I, I don't want my secret out. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to go on the limb and tell you yes that when we have a team mail on game day, I get somebody. Lately, it's been Ted Cordingly to tell the uh, one of the waiters or waitresses that it's my birthday because often there's no dessert and I like my sweets after my lunch. So. Uh, I've never been involved in this. 80, 80 or 90 percent. So we have like a, a, a pregame meal at lunch on the road um, after our shoot around, and uh, we get one of the servers to bring out a dessert, and they put a candle on it. And they wish me a happy birthday. Do they, they, they sing to you every time? Well, the, the, the guys do. Yeah, the, the yeah pretty much. Pretty much a team hey, does every time. Steve so the guys know exactly story. what's going on, and. Uh, they see me happy birthday, and I, you know, I say a couple words, <laughs> thanking them, and uh, off we go. He, you, you know, I, I every I drove. I, I used to drive with JT to. Uh, we played in Six Nations. <laughs> used to go to practice, and we used to always stop at Tim Hortons to get a coffee or whatever. And no word of a lie, we would stop, and the lady would serve us, and he would tell the lady that he was there that morning and got a snail cookie <laughs> and he wasn't happy and donut, always, donut, always donut. get a free cookie and at one time he told the guy he had to go to stale donut and the guy gave us a dozen a free dozen donuts yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so well, i've only really heard this story i've never been a witness to the story but which uh, one the birthday story the birthday story well, I you think have to be it's part of every time i i've heard it from different guys i, I laugh Knowing, you know, knowing what I do uh, about you, I just think it's hilarious that that uh, that you you basically dupe every restaurant that you go into for a free dessert. Well, it's not this right. It's mainly at the hotel. It's it's more of like one of the uh, the rooms there. So you make your I, wife and your kids <laughs> sing happy birthday to you when you go out too. Like, no, I don't even know if they know I do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but maybe I'll tell them after this podcast. So. If, if you're going to sit in a locker room, in the NLL locker room, whether it's today or yesteryear, and, and knowing that JT played for a thousand years in this league and had probably a hundred, uh, you know, a couple hundred, maybe five or six hundred teammates after a long 
long career. Uh, who would you not want to sit next to in an NLL locker room? Well, I mean, there's there's uh, so many guys that I've played with, but um, more recently, it's just easier to answer that way. I'd have to go with a guy like Mark Steenhouse. He uh, not recent. Uh, <laughs> for me, <laughs> that's not very recent, isn't it? What is that? Ten years ago? Better <laughs> than thirty years ago. Why would okay, you I would not go want to sit next to Mark Steenhouse. Yeah, I was just going to tell you that he does no. not. Well, why don't change, you tell me? He does not change his socks, so he'll have the same socks for the entire season. So his bag is a little stinky, and two, he's a guy that you don't want to prank because when he pranks, he goes all out. Now, I'll let Troy tell you a story about one of the pranks he pulled on him in a moment. And the other guy I'm going to have to go with is David Brock. And I'm only going to say David Brock because if you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. So, I Troy, you can, tell, you can tell him the story about uh, what was I just talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, actually, that that, uh, that would be the guy – uh, I never got to play with Mark. Um, Mark, uh, yeah, Mark, the hotel. Yeah, I never got to tell, play with Mark. I got that. to coach him, but he, I would not want to sit beside him either, just because of the pranking <laughs> issue. So, uh, you know, I used to prank guys myself, and um, you know, I can't remember what I did to him, but it was very minimal what I did to uh, to Steiner. Uh, just a little prank, and um, you know, he just looked at me, and said, "Okay, it's on." Blah blah blah, whatever. So it's about five minutes before our, our bus is picking us up to take us to a game. Uh, we're in a hotel, and I go to, to put on my suit and all that, and my dress shirt is tied in a knot. It's in the sink full of water, and I've got no other dress shirt. No other dress shirt. So me, you know, me being a, a rookie coach, I had left my door open and I was talking to some guys and things like that. And he went into my room and just like, just trashed my room. But you know, I had to find a, a, a dress shirt. So I, I went out and found the lady who, who threw my dress shirt in the, the, the dryer for about five, 10 minutes. And, and it was, in, I ended up wearing a damp, damp uh, dress shirt that day. So, <laughs> so that was the last time I ever pranked him because he, you know, he goes all out and he does not stop. A quick break. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. If you've been listening to our channel for a while, you know that we are big fans of Manscaped and their Perfect Package Essentials Kit, which is the world's finest all-in-one manscaping kit that makes manscaping safe and easy. And just when you think they've got it all figured out, they take it to the next level. I'm excited to be one of the first to confirm that after 18-plus months of research and development, the new Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Body Trimmer has just been released and comes with a ton of new upgrades. Get 20% off plus free shipping from your Perfect Package 3.0 purchase when you use promo code SEALS20 at manscaped.com. That's code SEALS20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. Now, back to the pod. So I want to talk about Billy D. Smith for a minute because I, everybody thinks that Billy D. Smith is, you know, the meanest person in the history of our game and, and was always afraid of him. You know, no question. I mean, on the floor. Um, but I, I had a little flavor of Billy D Smith in the uh, 2006 world games with team Canada in London, Ontario, and found him to be one of probably the biggest teddy bears, nicest guys you would ever meet kind of off the floor and genuine 
genuine quality guy, which is indicative of probably a lot of lacrosse players that, you know, you go to battle with and you, and fans look at them and think that they're the worst people in the world. And then all of a sudden realize that, uh, you know, if they get to know them off the, off the field or off the, off the floor, they would understand that they're good guys. But tell me a Billy D Smith story that, that, uh, that you guys remember. I don't think I'm allowed to tell any. (laughs) 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 Jordy, do you have any Billy D Smith stories? I I just, what I remember about Billy is there was a switch and when he went on the floor, he turned that switch on and he was probably one of the most intense. uh, He was like, he was intense and, and, you know, um, trash talker. He was, he might be the best ever at trash talking. Uh, but then I saw Billy, as soon as he come off the floor, he would spend time with kids, um, you know, kids that want autographs, he would chat with the kids and he was just, you know, like you said, he was a big teddy bear and, and, you know, um, it was just glad that, you know, he was on our side because, you know, he, he, a lot of players feared him. They were, they were intimidated by him and, and, um, you know, he, he, he might be one of the best uh, defenders, uh, ever to play the game. Yeah, Billy, Billy is a great guy. I've developed a really good rapport with Billy. We became really good friends. And uh, I tell you, whether he's on the floor or not on the floor, I'm glad he was on my side for most part of it. I hate when he's on the other side. He, like, he's coaching and helping coaching in Halifax right now. He yep. still scares me being on that bench. <laughs> I want him to be on my side. And uh, Billy, Billy is a great guy to have on your side. And the one thing about Billy, Billy always liked to look good, like whether he was playing or not. He liked his shoes. You know, hey, JT, you like these shoes? Look at these shoes, man. I got my new shoes on. And he liked the new style of shoes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, besides, uh, you know, his, his personality on the floor, like you wouldn't even know, like you wouldn't believe, like you were saying, Steve, that he could actually even turn that switch and become the animal that he is on the floor um, if you didn't know him as a lacrosse player because he's a really, really nice guy. Troy, you used to be able to chirp. You were a, you were a big chirper when you played, I remember. But, JT, you, you – you didn't chirp a whole lot. You let a lot of other things speak for themselves, which maybe it was just, you know, guys that weren't as talented as the goats that, you know. No, I didn't like chirping. I thought, I thought when people chirped me, it just kind of created a fire in my belly. I just wanted me to perform better or, or kind of take your number and just kind of get you when the opportunity presented itself. Have you, have you guys watched any of the, the, of the documentary about Michael Jordan and, and. uh, Yes. Yeah. And, do you see any of you in Michael Jordan, JT? Not you, Me? Troy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I would like this. I would like to say yes, of course. Like Michael Jordan is an amazing basketball player, greatest of all time. And, you know, I, I won't lie if, if, if when I'm watching, I, I'm looking for those comparisons or parallels and see if we share any similarities. And uh, we do have a few. Um, him and I like to gamble. <laughs> how about how about the fact that I, like, I actually, you know, and, and never having been in a lot of locker rooms or, or on the same team with you, but I, I don't. You weren't the type of guy that motivated your teammates in a way no. that was. I like I like to have fun. I don't we think were there's definitely, a parallel there. No, not at all. We're definitely. Let me, let me tell the story. No, on this we're one. different. We're definitely different that way. But the one line that I, I like that he said, that I hope that I was like that, was I would have never asked my teammates to do anything that I didn't do. And 
that be, I think I played most of my, my career that way with the exception of the last few years of my career, only because I was so much older and I couldn't do stuff like, you know, like just do the dirty work, like getting loose balls or, or getting a big goal or, or, you know, just doing like making a big hit. You know, when you're, you're playing when you're mid forties, it's hard to sometimes do that. So I hated that part of my game late in my career, but uh, I think that's the one line. That's the one line that stood out for me. Did you treat Troy like Scotty Pippen or Scott Burrell? <laughs> no, I treated. I think I treated all my teammates the same. <laughs> hey, one thing. I, one thing I do remember though is uh, when I first started playing with JT because I was more of an intense person. I was very, you know, I, losing was I just it was the most, the biggest. Uh, I hated losing. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I was a poor loser, whatever. But. Um, you know, going into the first plane with him, and I'm I'm rocking in my uh, uh, stall and 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 trying to pump myself up and and you know trying to focus or whatever you have it, and and then I see him walking around, JT walking around, and he's got a thong on, he's bending <laughs> he's bending over pretending to pick up garbage in front of a rookie's face. I'm probably trigger, <laughs> right? And like I'm, you know, like and then I'm just thinking like this. Like, the hell is this guy doing like this like this guy's an idiot and then then it, we go we go out out on the floor and you know i bust my nuts off just to get a couple points and he finishes the game with five and five or whatever just like, oh how's this well fair? you know what that reminds me of one player i don't know i'm not sure you know this name i don't think he played pro lacrosse but he played with us in brampton some lacrosse league uh gus liatis we're in man cup and uh i think we lost the game and whereas a tight series and I, I like keeping it loose, whether we're winning or losing, I, I make the game, I, I try to make the game fun. I think, you know, uh, there's bigger problems than winning um, a lacrosse game. So uh, uh, in the change room, I'm joking around, joking around. All I hear is Gus Liatis complaining about me because I'm joking around <laughs> and he's more on the serious side. And he, I kind of felt like he was blaming me because we lost the game because I'm choking her out. Like my behavior before a game will not dictate the outcome of a game. So if that's the way I prepare, then let me be. If you prepare, you know, in your serious manner, then I'll stay out of your way, <laughs> but stay out of my way. Cause uh, I think we all have different ways of prepping for a game. I do seem to remember hearing you, you tell the story that you were going to play forever and yes, you were going to play forever, but you were going to stay, you were going to play offense until they started stopping you on offense. Then you're yeah. going to go play defense, mm-hmm. and then you're going to be a goalie. And whatever happened, yeah. you didn't play well, goalie. I know, I know, and I didn't play the defense either. I went from a two-way player to strictly offense, and then um, I played offense for a long time. I didn't anticipate to play that long because my uh, my inspiration to play for as long as I did was Bill Gary, who used to be a goalie. Uh, for Buffalo and Brampton Six Nations. And he, he was like in his 40s playing lacrosse. I'm like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So uh, actually I was playing for Buffalo and Troy Cornley offered me a coaching position. So it was either take my chances in that as a third string goalie or take my assistant coaching job. And I couldn't do both. So I thought if I still want to be involved with Buffalo, I better take the assistant coaching job. Troy, were you the reason that um... – that the game went away from two-way players? <laughs> no. No. Are you the reason to specialize? Listen. If I pinpointed it to the one guy that couldn't play defense, it was either you and Kevin Finneran. No. 
It wasn't me. It had to have been Finn. Had to have been him. It was him. You know Listen. what? I got to cut you off. Finneran, some, uh, um, Dallas Ellie just posted a, um, a video of Kevin Finneran fighting. I was like, I didn't know he fought anybody. That was amazing. I don't know that I ever saw that either. Yeah, did you see it? No, I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, he was fighting. Yeah, he was fighting. He did a good job. I think it was a Rochester Philly game. How great is how great is the God of goaltending YouTube page or YouTube channel? Like, I, you find <laughs> yourself kind of getting distracted by going down the rabbit hole of watching old games. All I know is my confidence has dropped significantly. <laughs> I think I was an egg and spooner because I, I can never score on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of highlights of saving you, Troy. <laughs> I don't think you scored a goal on him. You talk about confidence. I was the guy playing defense that was getting skinned in all these videos of people you guys were shooting on. I looked like a fool. Well, you, uh, I, I, you, are, you were skinned on that one hidden ball. I, that I yes. scored against <laughs> That was real bad. Oh, that's right. That was holy. That's, that's right. You know, you know, as soon as it happens, too, and you're watching the video and you turn your head to make sure that the other D guy, you know, you know where someone else is. And I'm not going to give you credit for actually planning. But when I turned my head, you flipped the ball. But I turned my head at the exact time. And I, I watched it over and over going, I could – this is so dumb. <laughs> no, I actually waited. I, I, I've calculated throughout the period of the game how often you keep your head on the swivel, and it, it's not often. So <laughs> the very minimal time that you do, I calculated that in two yeah. seconds, yeah, you're going to you swivel your head. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, uh, tell me who the most underrated player you ever played with. Oh, I got to go with Neil Doddridge. And I'm going to give you a Philly person, too. Tom, uh, Hayek. Who? Can you hear? Thomas Hayek. Thomas Hayek. Great yeah. D guy. Tough yeah. guy. Yeah. For me, it, you know what? For me, it's, all, it's, uh, it's every defensive player <clears throat> that's played in this league. We're so geared to, to um, you know, promoting or whatever have it the 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 offensive players which you know they're very gifted in that but for me as as a player I, you know I, I thought that you know offense is going to win you games and you know we're we're the cats meow blah 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 but you know after coaching and, and seeing the, the your foot soldiers and what they do every defensive guy is underrated like it's just hey, what hey, how, how how great is this eh? Steve, you just told Troy he couldn't play defense, and now he's giving props to all the defenders. But <laughs> I got to agree with you completely, Troy. I think the defenders, guys who don't put up numbers, don't get nearly enough credit. Like, you see all these things, greatest of all time. A defender is never, ever um, up for any award like that or league MVP. And I always feel like the defenders get um, – uh, they get attention only when they score in transition. If you don't score in transition, you're not a good defender. Yeah, defensive player is the weirdest thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that. You know, talk about goalies, though, for a second. Like, And you guys have been blessed, obviously, with great goaltending over your careers as players and ultimately as coaches. And I just, I mean, obviously can't speak enough about the value of great goaltending in our game. I mean, um, you know, you can say it about hockey and how much – you know, uh, how much hockey means, you know, goaltending means in the playoffs and hockey and a goalie that gets hot. But 
man, you talk about guys like Matt Vince, who, who obviously has had an illustrious career. And, and the joke uh, on my very first episode was with John Grant being traded for Matt Vince uh, and probably made the worst trade in the history of, of the NLL, trading away Matt Vince for John Grant. But I tell him that constantly. <laughs> he, 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 he doesn't like it when I point that out, but. Yeah, it's good to pick on a Burrow boy, though. Yeah. Right? Yes, yeah. very much so. Goaltending is the most important position in lacrosse. I am, I firmly believe it. Um, you know, um, goalies are, are your last line of defense in lacrosse. So you're always going to get quality shots. Um, you know, your goaltender has to be, has to be um, uh, your best player on your team. And, you know, if you look back at the history of all the championship teams, what do they have? What's the one thing that they all had? And it was goaltending. Like you, you look at uh, Dallas who won loads of championships in, in, in Philly. Um, Toronto had Bobby Watson. So, you know, the list goes on and on. Goaltending is huge. JT, do you agree with that? I like calming in goaltendings on goaltenders. Um, I think there's a lot of great goaltenders. I think, um, you know, the defense has a lot to do with how good goalies are, you know, just giving them bad angle shots and whatnot. But, uh, you know, push comes to shove. You want a confident um, goalie. You want a goalie that communicates. A goalie's going to make big saves at crucial times, you know. Like, uh, you think of hockey, you know, Grant Fuhrer, not the best goalie, but made a lot of big saves when he had to. And in Buffalo right now, we do have one of the best, one of the best goalies. And I didn't realize how good Maddie was until he played for us, to be honest with you. And not only is he a great goalie, he's a great leader. And he talks a lot about, he communicates a lot about what he wants. And that's crucial because it gets everybody on the same page, especially on special teams, um, man down situations, of course, where he tells the guys exactly what he wants and makes things a lot easier for everybody. As a player, I just got to share, as a player, I just thought every goalie was bad. <laughs> of course you did. But I didn't really mean, I didn't really think that, but I had to convince myself that. Yeah. Because, because yeah, if I thought that goalie was good, I psyched myself out. And I have Dwight Metke to thank for that. What, Dwight Metke psyched you out? You thought yes. he was good? I thought he was the best goalie. I played with Dwight in Vancouver, and Dwight is a goalie, a lot like uh, Dominic Hasek, apparently Dominic Hasek and, and Dwight. They try on every shot in practice. They study the shooters and every possible angle. Dwight would say, come down this angle, and, and he'd learn exactly. I didn't know. He learned exactly what I was doing. So in 1992, championship game in Philly, I was nervous that Dwight was going to start the game. I was so happy, and no offense to Dallas, I was because Dallas is a great goalie. I was I was happy that Dallas was starting the game, but <laughs> as many of you guys know, he got injured, and in comes Dwight. Oh man, my confidence level just shot right right down. Fast You're forward, to, fast forward to overtime. I threw a backhand because that's the one shot I didn't take very often, and I knew that. He wouldn't, if I didn't know where it was going, how was Dwight going to know where it was going? So, so 92, you win the game in overtime with a backhand yeah. shot on Dwight. Because, Mike. because, yeah, because I took that backhand because I figured if I don't know where it's going, Dwight doesn't know where it's going. But Dwight Medke 
psyched me out because I, I had so much respect for him as a goalie that I always hesitated that extra millisecond before I shot with him. And it just kind of got in my own head. So after that, I just said, all the goalies are the same. I'm going to do whatever I want. And if they save it, they save it. If they don't, you know, it goes in. So thanks, Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I uh, well, the one thing that I, I really, you know, I admire about Matt Vince and is is the guy stays in amazing shape. I mean, he is mm. he takes the gear off. He is uh, he's a physical specimen, and there's a number of goalies. Uh, Dwight Mecky was one of them, and certainly Dallas that were very fitness conscious, and 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 then and then there's a lot of other goalies that aren't uh, because they ended up being the fat kid. Uh, you know, on the playground, they got put in the goal and, uh, you know, they never grew out of that. But, uh, but Matt Vince, he was certainly that guy um, and, and ultimately played, he, play, he played a number of times for Team Canada with a long pole, played at Canisius College as a long pole mm -hmm. uh, defender, uh, but ultimately was a, was a goalie in box and man, you know, just an incredible individual as far as a player and, and, and I know a leader. So um, he's definitely a true professional and uh, we're lucky to have him in Buffalo. Great goalie, great guy, great team player. Hey, so I want to switch gears real quick and have you guys react to a couple names. I'm just going to throw them out and I want to hear your, you know, kind of quick reaction to these guys. Are uh, we doing this simultaneously? Uh, well, you know, you guys can decide who goes first. It's up to you. You go first, Roy Waltonate. <laughs> okay. Tony Resch. Intelligent, <laughs> very intelligent. Uh, lots of respect for him. He, um, um, you know, played the game and coached the game. And, and you know, I've seen Tony uh, around some of the youth uh, youth tournaments down state down in the states. And you know, just I have a lot of respect for that man. He's uh, he's one of, one of the good ones. JT, you can go now. Do you remember who we're talking about? <laughs> I, I mean, I just know Tor, uh, Rush as a head coach of Philadelphia. Uh, I was always impressed because I thought we had an all-star team in Buffalo and Philly always competed with us. So I had to give him a lot of kudos for being a good coach. But I didn't know him very well. Tom Marichek. Backhander. Pretty boy. Great goal scorer. A lot of positives. But I must say, when I think of Tom Marichek, I, 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 I think of a, a negative situation in my life where we're playing the U.S. in overtime in Baltimore, uh, field across, and we're down by goal in overtime. U.S. has the ball in our end. There's a quick turnover. I look at the clock. It's 10 seconds, and they have the ball. Turnover. Somehow Gary Gay gets the ball. He throws it the full length of the floor, a field. I catch the ball. I turn around, and I shoot. Sal Acasio saves it. I watch the video afterwards. <laughs> Tom Marichek's man comes to double me. All I had to do is in my windup, dish it off to Tommy, and he would probably scored because he was one-on-one -on -one with the goalie. So when I think of Tommy, now I think of that, that play, unfortunately. <laughs> I was on that team. Junior and I talk about that quite often. Both him and I started that game, but uh, we got pulled at halftime and didn't play, and I was pouting on the sideline, but uh, jumping up and down as we came back from 13-2. to two. Um, and, and I remember, I remember that play vividly and had watched it since then, but, uh, you know, there's not too many guys, uh, on the, on the doorstep that you want to give the ball to other than Tom Marichek, but you know, you weren't a, you weren't a slouch with the ball either. So, uh, it was a 50, 50 chance that we were going to get out of that with a, with a goal and, you know, Hey, these things happen. 
Troy, Tommy Marichek. Wizard. He, he, he might have had the best stick I've ever seen. He, uh, he could do things. He should have he grew up in this era with these kids doing all these stick tricks and things like mm-hmm. that. I mean, Junior had the, have had the most amazing stick skills I've ever seen. Um, you know, and uh, he, was, he was a good, like you said, he was, he was mint on the crease. So a GM in our league who is brothers of a player, Kurt Silcott. <laughs> Kurt, very uh, loyal. Um, he, uh, his work ethic for, uh, for the game and to learn to be a GM and that was, was unbelievable. He, the thing that I liked about Kurt was he, um, would always ask our opinions, even as players or, or coaches and things like that. When, when, you know, when you got to make some tough decisions or whatever, he was a guy that, that, that relied on, on, you know, a core group of people and, and, you know, you got this, the, to have a say somewhat, the, a little bit of ownership towards uh, what was happening. So he, he was a good one. I liked him. Yeah. And just to add on to that great friend, you know, like you think he's your boss, but he's your friend. So uh, it was, it was nice of him to always want to make things better for the guys. He wanted to make a, a Buffalo, a, a great team to be with. And he took a lot of pride in his job and he always wanted to try to get a winning team. So national cross league named its head coach of the year award. Um, and you guys have both been head coaches or you, you currently and, and probably in the future and formerly um, uh, head coaches in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, if I said Les Bartley to you guys, what, what immediately comes to mind? You both played for him as a coach. And, and uh, what, what do you guys think when you talk about Les Bartley? For, for me, I think he was uh, ahead of the game. Um, he was the first one in our sport that I know of that used video. Um, he was a great motivator. Um, and you know, he was also, he, he, he was really good at building someone's confidence. You know, you you pull you aside and just have a little chat or whatever he was. He was just a real genuine, you know, he really cared. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to, to win, uh, uh, the Les Bartley Award a couple of times in LL and and um, you know to win something like that with his name Strong on it. There, JT, that's a flex. No, no. What? Flex. This is this is honor. This is honor. Just flexed on you. <laughs> oh, sorry, I wasn't up with the terminology. I get it now. <laughs> Toot your horn, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways, so he was he was um, you know he meant a lot to me and, and he gave me my first, uh, first start in the NLL, uh, as a player. So I owe a lot, uh, a lot to that man. So, uh, Les Bartley, we talked earlier in 1992 that, uh, Buff McCready was our head coach and Les Bartley was just a guy. He wasn't an assistant coach. He was just a guy helping out on the floor. He was like getting balls. He was the ball boy. He just got the balls in the corner for the next drill and whatnot. And, uh, you know, Buff McCready was a head coach. John Meridian was a GM. We're 0-3. And all of a sudden, John Meridian makes a drastic change. He makes Les Bartley the coach out of nowhere. Les Bartley is now the coach. And Les Bartley, I think the one thing that I really admired about Les was he was able to get the most out of every player. I think because he did give everybody confidence. And he took the time to talk to everybody individually, communicate with them, encourage them. And that allowed people to play freely with an open mind and work their heart, work their heart out for him. 
Um, but the one thing that, you know, and, and, I, and I know Les has passed and was a great coach, was very successful. But the one thing that I never hear people talking about is in, in Buffalo, when he did his pregame speech, he would drop a lot of F-bombs. And we would count how many F-bombs he would have. Like, it would be F, F, this, F, F, F. And it was like 30, 40 of them in every pregame speech. So it was kind of the ongoing joke in Buffalo when he coached in Buffalo that, uh, you know, he, he was going to – how many F-bombs today? 50, 40? So it would be kind of an ongoing joke about how many F-bombs there was going to be. But uh, he turned out to be one of the best coaches in the league. He was very innovative, as Troy said. And uh, I remember one time he was like – you know, just coming, coming up with different strategies. Like, hey, what if we, what if we uh, put two guys in the middle on the power play? And like, just kind of different situations. And, you know, he just kind of made you think about different scenarios. But uh, he definitely thought outside the box, and uh, he was very successful, and he was a great guy as well. Fellow, uh, fellow TFL, Colin Doyle. Whose turn is it? You want me to start? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Great leader. Great, great leader. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, um, I had an incident with, with Colin when I was, uh, he, I was playing major and he was junior and I thought he was a, somewhat of a cocky kid and that. And um, I just basically, you know, flat out said to him, what have you ever won? And, you know, uh, I got to coach him later on, and, and he told me <laughs> that that little conversation sparked a little bit in him, and, and uh, he he went on like just phenomenal leader. He was he would, you know, he could have he would have the dressing room in, in his palm of his hands. He was so good at at, at you know um, making sure everybody belonged, making everybody feel a part of it. But you know, he also was a guy that would would get in guys' grills and say, you know, they need to be better. So. He was, he was one of the elite players of our league. And on the floor, you know, he was definitely one of the best players. Um, he was, uh, seemed like he was a great leader on the opposing team. Him and I went out a few times. Uh, nothing but, of, you know, nothing, uh, hard, no hard feelings on my part. Just uh, a lot of respect going, you know, one leader to the next leader. You know, we uh, played many games against each other. I think we both hated each other on the floor and uh, – you know, I, I, I got the opportunity to play with him and with Team Canada, I think, in New Brunswick. Got to know him a little bit. You know, when you get to know guys, we're all the same. It's easy to get along with guys when you're on their team. But, uh, you know, I kind of grew up in the same mold as Troy Cornley. It's like, if he's on the other team, I hate him. So I played a lot of games against him, so I didn't like him when I played against him. And uh, I respected his game, but I didn't want to let him know that. So now that he doesn't play anymore, I can tell him I can respect his game a lot. Just uh, to recap, you were in the World Games in 2007 in Halifax. It wasn't New Brunswick. <laughs> New Brunswick is close. Was it New Brunswick? Yeah, no, God, yeah close. Long Where comment. was it? You know what? I have bad – I did not play in the final game. I pulled my hamstring. I pulled my hamstring playing basketball. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, so I got two more. Um, and one of these guys I know you guys never played against, but you watched him probably play against you, and that's Jay Bear. Really fast transition guy, really good <laughs> off the draw. That's all I remember about Jay Jalbert and his name. I thought, is this a French Canadian guy playing? American? <laughs> He's from New Brunswick. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, I, I never played against him, but I coached against him, and I, I got a lot of respect for him because I know that uh, when, when Buffalo, when we played uh, Colorado, 
you know, we'd be taking runs at him to slow him down and giving him the odd cheap shot, and he just kept going. Didn't phase him. Another guy that I know is very close to you guys and and uh, long history, but Darius Kilgore. Very intense coach, player, a great guy to have on your side. Knows the game very well, and uh, he'll do anything there is to win a game. And uh, great goal scorer, hard shot, great feeder, fighter, uh, you know, uh, thinker, very uh, all-around player. He literally did it all, right? Like, he, he did yes. do it all when he played. Like, he would just as soon score and punch you in the mouth um, as, you know, he, he was happy doing either one. When he yeah. stopped playing lacrosse, my goal production must have went down because he gave me a lot of empty netters for quick sticks. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my, my thoughts on Darius are the exact same as JT's. I do know that I played a lot with, uh, with him on, uh, on my line. And, you know, I'm, I'm, the biggest I was 165, 170 pounds, but I played like I was 200 when he was, was on our, when, on, when I was on his line. It was, he was intense, that's for sure. So who's guys, the guy that who's the guy that hit me uh, in Philadelphia? I came out of the penalty box. He smoked me. Uh, Gabby Rowe. Gabby Rowe. Yeah. So Gabby Rowe makes a huge hit on me. My helmet goes flying. Yard sale. I didn't see him coming out of the box. Gary Gates chasing me. I'm trying to kill a penalty. Get smoked. And there's Kilgore comes off the bench and chases Gabby Rowe around the arena. Literally, Gabby Rowe ran. Gabby Rowe ran. Yeah. That was that was classic, oh, and that that that's to attest what Troy is saying. You know, I'm not a big guy too. You have Darius Kilgore on team, you can play like you're 250. Because uh, Dar- yeah. talk about that yeah. hit for half a second yeah. when he hits you and and clearly blindsided you, which yeah. now is penalty in the National Lacrosse League. Yeah, but you didn't stay down for long. No, you know, it didn't hurt. It, it looked a lot worse. I had no, my body was totally relaxed. I had no clue that guy was coming. He had, I think I was approximately at center floor and he came from the penalty box full tilt. And uh, I, the reason I didn't see him is because Gary Gate was on me and Gary Gate was really good. I don't know what kind of stick check you call it, where Gary kind of puts his free hand around you without holding you and kind yeah. of wraps around. And Gary was really good at that. And at around center, if he did that and got the ball, he's on a breakaway. So, so focused on not losing the ball to Gary that, I lost. I forgot about the time of this Gabriel guy coming out of the penalty box, and he freaking ran at me and smoked me, and I flew. Helmet came off, but I honestly, God, didn't really. I didn't really. I didn't feel it. <laughs> if that makes the any sense. The video of that hit is on YouTube. People go check yeah. it because it, it's yeah. uh, it's probably one of the most textbook like yard sale hits I have yeah. ever seen in my career in this game and JT just pops right up and, and gets ready to play. And then the, the it video cuts off, but basically Darius Kilgore chases Gabby Rowe around yeah. the floor for, for <laughs> second. My, my, my 14 year old son, Justin, he loves to show me that hit. <laughs> <laughs> Another quick break. Coronado Brewing Company is proud to be the official craft beer partner of the Seals. Enjoy fan favorite Orange Avenue Wit and their new Salty Crew Blonde Ale all season long and visit coronadobrewing.com to find their award-winning beers near you. Stay coastal. Cheers. All right, so fellas, I always end the the show with one question, and I 
I love to get the perspective of guys that have been around for a long time and seen a lot of things in our league and throughout the game of lacrosse, Canada, U.S., wherever. Um, but if you could, if you could craft and produce a thirty for thirty about our game, about our league, um, what topic would you guys tackle? What, what would be the story that you would want to tell for the ages that would stand the test of time? There be for me, there would be two two stories. The one that uh, comes to my mind is the rivalry between Philadelphia and Buffalo. Um, I don't, especially the, the players that are playing nowadays, I don't think they quite understand or are aware of, of how intense that, that rivalry was. And, and you know, um, it was unbelievable, right? Like it was just, just the, 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 well, and it went for a decade. Of, yeah, it literally so it went just, from like '89 to '98. Right. So it was just it was just a really really intense uh, rivalry, and there was a lot of hatred in that. Um, and then the other one I would like to see the thirty to thirty would be um, um, the pioneers of the game. Like you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of good players um, that built this NLL, and and you know, it just the, I'm a respect guy, sort of speak. So like a guy like Tom Carmine, Randy Fraser, um, Tim Sudan, like these are just names off the top of my head, Finneran, Berge, those guys, these guys, you know, um, built this. And, you know, I think a little bit of recognition should go their way, but just to talk about, you know, the, the playing for $125, like, you know, um, Buffalo, we we were lucky we could scalp or scalp some of our tickets to make more money scalping tickets than we did get paid per game. So, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it was, there's a lot of of, of work that went on um, for 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 what is what is today. Well, hopefully, hopefully this TFL podcast is bringing to light some of these great stories and and bringing people, uh, uh, you know, having some people that have been around for a long time as fans get to listen to, to the stories that you guys are telling and, and, and hopefully uh, create a, a library of, of all the great players that have played this game. So that was my intention to start with this. But, uh, JT, what, what story would you want to yeah, tell? Yeah, I got to agree with, the, with you guys, with Troy there, with the, the Buffalo-Philly rival that we had in the 90s, uh, how long it lasted and how, <laughs> how intense and tough the games were. But, you know, I think of individuals. I think of individuals on my team. With the exception of, I'd, I'd like to know more about uh, Rogers out of Philly. And I love the people to know more about John Rosa. And I love people to know more about Jason Luke. Yeah. Jason Luke was a story. Yeah. I mean, he, he was the epitome of what you would call a shooting star. You yeah. know, like he, great, he wasn't great, around great long guy, enough. Great guy. You wouldn't believe how, how, how nice and polite that guy was. And how athletic he was oh, and unfortunately so he just athletic. never so fast yeah but you talk about uh, you know uh john grand jr and marichuk uh, uh playing and their stick skills nowadays like luke was jason was way ahead of his time too his uh his uh flair for the game and and his personality is uh, I, i'd love to know more about him i love other people to know about him and it was an all too tragic story right and and definitely not to- not to bring everybody down, but uh, ultimately passed away, I believe. And and uh, uh, no, Jason Luke's still with us. 
Okay, so I'm sorry. His father passed away. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. And uh, there, it was a pretty tragic story. My, my mistake, but uh, yeah. Um, but the, the history of that story um, that I don't know all the details about um, had a tragic ending. It yeah. did. Unfortunately, Jason just not, didn't get uh, an more, uh, enough an opportunity to shine. I think he only played for a couple of years. But, well, thanks uh, for bringing have... us down. But um... no, I'm not. I'm not at all. I'm just I'm thinking of pauses, man. The guy was uh, a fun guy to be around. That's let's talk about like. let's talk about throwing trash behind Dietrich again. That was pretty funny. Yeah. I like to see a whole thirty for thirty on guys who are throwing trash around Chugger. Uh, you know, ultimately, as as Troy was talking there, I started thinking. You know, I, I hope in twenty years somebody asks that exact same question, and this league is is a major sport like, you know, NHL and NBA, because I think our league is a story of its own. How, how are we not a major sport? We have so, the sport has so much to offer. I think it's one of the greatest product. I'm trying not to be biased here. You know, I'm a sports fan. I love, you know, basketball, football, hockey, baseball. And I don't know how lacrosse is not up there as a major sport. Well, we, as the national cross league enters its 35th year, uh, next season and, and, you know, National Lacrosse League, MILL, and certainly the history of the game uh, will look back on all of, of these stories that you guys have been telling and, and certainly uh, a lot of them that, that I don't remember and we don't remember that are going to be told by others. But, uh, man, I, I agree with you, and, and it's, uh, it's the work that you guys have done um, that, that we're all doing together. Uh, to try and get it to that level. So uh, I appreciate everything you've done. I've, I've obviously been a huge fan of both of your careers. I'm thrilled that we had the chance for you guys to come on to uh, the TFL podcast. I'd love to have you on again, but uh, thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. Uh, love talking love talking lacrosse with you guys. Love talking NLL. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve and thanks for all the uh, goals you allowed me to score against Philly. I appreciate that. <laughs> all those hidden ball tricks. Yeah. Fellas, thanks so much. Uh, we'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the TFL podcast. Thanks, man. See you later, guys.